TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. It's a Friday night, so I am feeling all right. Yes, even on this 13th of December, Friday the 13th, TGIF Scoop Podcast Faithful. This is episode 271 right here on Score North on 1500 scorenorth.com. Hopefully you have the Score North app as well. We will get to some high school basketball conversations I've had over the last handful of days, including with Jalen Suggs of Minnehaha Academy, Chet Holmgren of Minnehaha Academy, Chase Carter of Minnehaha Academy, that's Randy Carter's son, and Kerwin Walton of Hopkins. All four players hold offers from Richard Pitino and the Gophers, plus many, many universities want Walton, Holmgren, and Suggs. And in the coming year or years, Carter is only a sophomore, he'll continue to get offers as well. Plus, we'll get to plenty on the Twins, but let's begin where I meant to leave off last week. I just ran out of time. I was Denny Green-esque with my clock management last week. So let's catch up now with Ryan Harris, pride of St. Paul. Notre Dame, he spent time in the NFL with the Broncos, the Eagles, the Texans, the Chiefs, and the Steelers. He now does some radio work in the Denver market, also does some broadcasting for Notre Dame football, and he does some broadcasting for Westwood One. In fact, he was part of the crew that broadcast the Monday night game in Seattle a couple Mondays ago when the Vikings fell to the Seahawks. So he follows the Vikings closely. He was right there on the sideline for that Viking-Seahawks game, so he has intimate knowledge of the Vikings. So let's pick Ryan's brain right now on the Vikings. Let's bring into the conversation Ryan Harris. Ryan, it's always a pleasure to catch up. All right, how about just overall thoughts? The Vikings are 9-4. and four. They've done a good job. I mean, they don't have a two-game losing streak all year. After each of their four losses, they've rebounded. They did that again on Sunday, coming back after the loss Monday in Seattle. They beat the Lions, beat them rather easily. I mean, I guess just big picture-wise, as you look at the Vikings, as you look at the 9-4 and four Vikings, one game behind the Packers in the NFC North with three regular season games to go, I guess just what are your overall thoughts on the Vikes? Well, it's been fantastic to watch. And, you, and two things really jump out to me. One is the defense. I mean, the defense has been unreal. Uh, you got Everson Griffin playing great. And then you've got the young cat on the other side, fastest to 50 sacks in NFL history, uh, Donnell. And it's, it's just, that's, that's a huge part of the game. When you have dynamic defensive ends, that's how we won a Super Bowl in Denver in 2015. It forces pressure on the quarterback, especially when you're having some injuries and dings to Xavier Rhodes game by game and others. You really want to put the pressure on a quarterback to get the ball out. And especially when you're in the same division as Aaron Rodgers. So that's a huge plus. Also, whatever happened, and I talked to a couple of players on the Vikings, and, and known to many, Stephon Diggs continues to, to try and outshine Adam Thielen. Why, I don't know, but receivers often have weird things that happen. But you have one of the most <laughs> dynamic pass catchers in the NFL, Stephon Diggs, and, and Coach Mike Zimmer made him happy. Whatever, whatever agreement they had come to, Stephon Diggs has been performing. And I know, by the way, you got Kyle Rudolph, Notre Dame graduate, might I add, playing at an all-time high level for his career, amazing red zone threat. So between the defense and those offensive threats, oh, we forgot to mention, you've got a great offensive line and Delvin Cook. And this team, this this Vikings team, has really turned some heads this year. You're right about Kyle. I mean, he's really turned a corner blocking-wise. I mean, I think this is his best blocking year of his career. Piggybacking on a bunch of things that, that you just said, Ryan, I guess let's start with the defense. I mean, you were there in Seattle. I mean, Seattle was able to run the ball for over 200 yards. You look at, I mean, you mentioned Xavier Rhodes. I mean, there are question marks in the secondary. So you really believe, I mean, I guess on an individual basis, they have a bunch of Pro Bowl-type players. But collectively, you still strongly believe in this defense? Yeah, I mean, look no further than last week against the Lions, right? They shut down a decent offense. Yeah, they didn't have, you know, great weapons, and they're not prolific, but one of the things when I was on the sidelines for the Monday Night Football game against the Seahawks, the Seahawks were using that extra lineman fan incredibly often. They do it more than anybody in the NFL. But what it really does to a defense, especially a 4-3 defense like the Vikings, is it creates natural gaps. You have to be either balanced or you have to put a strength to one side of the field, and then Seattle with Russell Wilson is just going to audible out of it. They forced, they forced the Vikings to be a balanced defense. And when you're balanced against a two-tight end set, one of them being another 315-pound lineman, 
that leaves you very susceptible not only to cutbacks, but to front side blocking where you either have to bring a safety back down or you have to plus or you or you have to spread out the linebackers which make A and B gap runs incredibly successful and that's what the Seahawks did. They were willing to be patient and like you said incredible momentum, but don't forget too losing Riley Reef after the first half of that Seahawks game was a monumental loss. I mean, the young man that came in, I believe Hill from Pittsburgh, right? He he performed admirably. He did, Xavier yeah. Rashad Hill, yeah. I mean, he's yeah. actually a pretty good backup. I mean, I think Rashad yeah, is good enough, Ryan, to start for some player. teams. Yeah, but I'll tell you something. When I talked to the coaches, Riley Reef was somebody that they brought up consistently. One coach telling me he's big, he's strong, he can run, and he's really taken leadership this year seriously, and that's why he's a captain for the Vikings. Not to mention Bradbury at center, really creating some good calls and and, and some speed. At the, at the forefront of that offense. I mean, it is interesting that, that you're praising the offensive line. Like, Ryan, we're not used to that around here going back multiple years. Like, that's been the main Achilles heel for the Vikings going back how many years. But, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm studying every team's offensive line, but is it safe to think that maybe the Vikings have, like, a top 10 to top 15 offensive line right now? Absolutely. Listen, there are no playoff teams that have bad offensive lines. It's befuddling to me and many others who, who have played in the NFL, who know the NFL, uh, why teams consistently think, oh, we can just get a guy there at tackle or get a guy there at guard and center. Those are marquee positions. They play more than anybody outside of the quarterback and sometimes, oftentimes, more than the quarterback in the season. And the Vikings have figured out that the tried-and-true recipe to getting to the playoffs in the NFL is having a phenomenal offensive line, and then you couple that with the Delvin Cook and some offensive threats, and you've really got things going. There's not a position on offense that the Vikings are lacking uh, compared to anybody in the NFL, and that's a phenomenal thing for, for the Vikings to finally be able to say. That means that Rick Spielman's been done a great job at the GM position putting pieces together. But one thing I also talked to a coach about, he said, Ryan, I've never been with an organization that has more interaction with their, their front office and their coaching staff about the players they want come draft time. That's how coaches get the players that they know they need for their system, and that's how you get the production and the record that the Vikings have this year. We're talking with Ryan Harris. Sadly, Ryan, I mean, I think Vikings finished 12-4. and I think they win out. I think they win Sunday in Los Angeles against the Chargers. I think they win on Monday Night Football against the Packers. I think they finish Week 17 with a victory over the Bears. So I think the Vikings are going to the playoffs. But, Ryan, unless the Bears, because I think Green Bay wins at Detroit Week 17, so unless the Bears beat the Packers on Sunday, the Packers can lose to the Vikings, yet they still have the tiebreaker. So if the Packers and Vikings... Both finish twelve and four. The Packers win the NFC North, so we would be looking at the Vikings at twelve and four potentially, Ryan, but being a five or a six seed. I mean, from your experience, I mean, you've been in the playoffs. From your experience, like how important is winning the division? How hard would it be for the Vikings as a five or a six seed to win potentially three road games to just get to the Super Bowl? Well, the good news is it has been done, and probably more in football than any other professional sport. Uh, I'll also tell you that the Dome is the incredible advantage to have in the playoffs. Home field advantage is incredibly important. Part of the reason why we beat the Patriots the year in the AFC Championship that we went to the Super Bowl. And, And not just from the crowd standpoint, but just from the travel aspect. Once you get to the playoffs, every single player on your team has been battered, bruised, and fought through injury. And to not travel, to not get that extra inflammation from being 30,000 feet at cruising altitude really does benefit players. It gives you more time to recover. But at the end of the day, I know from playing with Kubiak, he's teaching this team. And Mike Zimmer, he has, he's not an excuses guy either. They're teaching this team it doesn't matter where or when you've got to win the big games. And you're going to have to win on the road anyways because the Super Bowl is not in Minnesota this year. So either way, mentally, get your mind around if you're the Vikings, you might have one home game great. You're going to be on the road anyways. Might as well make it count and might as well not let that be an excuse. And they performed admirably in Seattle. It was amazing to see the, the, the speed on defense, the play calling on offense from Kevin Stefanski. And they've got things rolling for the Vikings, and it's not going to matter where they play. It will matter what they can do and how they can help the secondary to make some changes and prevent some of the big plays that happened uh, on Monday night against Seattle and, and some of the plays, too, that the Lions got away with in that game. 
You brought up the name Gary Kubiak, your former head coach in Denver. You guys won the Super Bowl a few years ago. You beat Ron Rivera and the Panthers. I mean, is it clear to you, I mean, as you were there for that game Monday night in Seattle, was it clear to you the influence and the film you've watched? Is it clear the influence that both Kubiak and somebody else you know real well, run game coordinator, offensive line coach Rick Dennison, have had on this Vikings team? Oh, 100%. You know, talking with Rick Dennison, and so, you know, what's, what's made you guys play so well? And he said, technique, 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 technique. We got guys believing in the technique. And then I also know, too, I mean, just look at the influence. Kevin Stefanski uh, praises Gary Kubiak in terms of how he's helped him along. Delvin Cook as well. And then the best thing that I, that I heard while, while going to that game at Seattle and that I've watched all season long is that Kirk Cousins said, Gary has helped me tremendously be aware of all the things that matter in the passing game. When you have a veteran who's continuing to learn about a fundamental aspect of their job, that's a signal of great coaching. And Gary Kubiak's willingness to be in that position, willing not to be the offensive coordinator or have a title, but to be part, to be a part of a team. I mean, he told me, he said, I love what they're letting me do here. And when I talked to him on the field, I, I talked to him after a defensive player was talking to him before the game. Defensive players are even looking to Gary Kubiak for questions and conversation. And, and that's, a, that's the sign of a great coach. Uh, willing to go above and beyond to engage with players. On Stefanski, I mean, is it pretty obvious to you that he's going to be somebody's head coach next year? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see now because you look at the, like for example, the Denver Broncos currently five and eight. You know, defensive-minded coaches have been incredibly successful in the NFL, and teams are starting to figure that out. Zach Taylor and his wonderful offense that got the Rams to the Super Bowl last year have one win in Cincinnati. One win. And that's something where you start saying, well, do we want a guy who can score points? Or is it more important to learn how to stop players defensively? And, and you look at Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. That's what they do. They've got a great quarterback. They've got a good run game. Uh, but they also are able to do things because their focus is defensively, schematically, to shut down what an offense can do and put pressure on them and, while scoring points offensively. So Kevin Stefanski's done a great job. I, I do, talking to different scouts and GMs, the whole idea of a hot-shot offensive coordinator coming in to coach your team isn't as appealing as it was even two years ago. But that being said, like if you had to bet, because if I had to bet, Ryan, Stefanski is going to get one of these jobs. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, in Atlanta. I mean, they're trying to turn things around, but also New York, clearly Carolina. Um, but it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be tough for coaches now without head coaching experience to get the same shots because of the failures uh, that are in Miami and Cincinnati right now, uh, and specifically Cincinnati with an offensive coach. What about Rivera? I mean, I think Rivera gets a job, speaking of defensive-minded coaches. I mean, I think he is going to get another opportunity. Did it surprise you? I mean, I know Carolina's got a new owner, but did it surprise you that Ron Rivera, I mean, think about the history you have against the Panthers. I mean, did it surprise you, all those victories that Ron had in Carolina, that they let him go? No, it didn't. They 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 performed subpar. And the way they were losing was tough. And that's why it's so important to have a quality backup quarterback uh, because if Kyle Allen doesn't throw four picks, uh, and I think he's at nine now on the season, they probably, he probably still has a job, Ron Rivera. But there was some just, it, it was time to move on. I was surprised they kept him the year after the Super Bowl when Carolina mightily struggled. Um, but Ron Rivera is a quality coach, he knows how to get guys motivated, uh, but he really hasn't found success. One, one GM calling, calling him, John Fox 2.0 to me when I talked to him. And I'm not sure he's that far off when you start looking at the records. Do you give the Bears any chance or what kind of chance? I mean, they clearly have some sort of chance, but I'm telling you, if you're a Vikings fan, you are the biggest Bears fan on the planet. To me, Ryan, that is the only path for the Vikings to win the North. So when we look at Sunday, Bears at Packers, myth. I mean, he's got a season-ending injury now, so the Bears are down a key defender. They do have a few extra days rest because they played the Thursday game last week. They are on a bit of a roll, but really, who have they played? Like, do you give the Bears – what sort of chance do you give the Bears on Sunday at Lambeau? Tremendous chance. I mean, they beat the most motivated team in the NFC last week in the Dallas Cowboys. There was nobody more more invested in winning from a head coaching top to bottom team than the Dallas Cowboys, and they beat the brakes off them. You know, the score does not reflect the beating that the Cowboys uh, took on to the point where I was shocked that Jason Garrett was still their coach this week. Um, so I give them a fighter's chance for sure. Trubisky has kind of turned it around. They've been able to find some talent and get healthy offensively. Uh, and I know Matt Nagy; he was the quarterbacks coach when I was in Kansas City. He never is a negative person. He is always positive, 
And I can tell you from being in meetings with him in my career, he's telling those guys about the opportunity they have on Sunday, not what they have to look out for or be careful of. He doesn't care that it's Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't care that they're playing in Green Bay. What they're focusing on is a short road trip that gives them the opportunity to stay playoff ready. And, oh, by the way, I don't even think they get on a plane for that for that trip. They drive halfway, stay outside of Green Bay, and finish the rest to, to hopefully win that game, for the not only for themselves, but for the Vikings as well. Ryan, how much do you enjoy doing this now? I mean, being able to cite, you know, the time you spent with Gary Kubiak or you just brought up Matt Nagy. Like, now that you're doing the media stuff, is it fun to be able to, you know, spin some stories and, you know, share some firsthand experiences? Well, I love educating and humanizing the sport that people love in football. And I love showing behind the curtains what, what, what does matter, what doesn't matter. You know, uh, it's fun for me to, to talk about real-life examples where you, did, you, know, you brought up the wild-card teams in the playoffs. That's how the Giants won both their Super Bowls with Super Bowl MVP Eli Manning. They were wild-card teams. You know, I believe, too, when the Packers won it with Aaron Rodgers, um, they were, I believe they were an, uh, a wild-card team as well. So being able to point to those successes and to understand how, and I even called it against uh, the Chicago Bears and the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, that is, that's a situation where that team, I understand the motivations, and sometimes it takes some time to be successful in the NFL. So being on the inside, I love helping people learn about the game they love. What if the Vikings do finish 12-4? and four? I mean, I think they will, Ryan, but end up losing. You know, like if they end up opening at three-seed Green Bay, or three-seed New Orleans, and they lose that first-round playoff game. Can you view this season as a success? I mean, they jump up four wins from last year. I mean, 12-4 and four would be one heck of a season. But, like, when you look at playoff success, big picture, how much does that matter when looking at the total picture of the season and whether it's a success? Well, it's incredibly important to have playoff experience. I mean, my first playoff experience, we won a home game, and then we traveled to – the Patriots and we're leading at halftime and then end up losing I believe it was like you know, 38 to 17 we scored three points in the second half and at the end of that game it wasn't about X's and O's it was just about a want to the Patriots just wanted to win more it, it comes down to two or three plays and then you start looking as a player and you say I had 17 family members at this game coordinating tickets I don't need that crap before a game before a huge game I mean there's so much experience both as an individual and a team that that playoff experience brings and especially for the future of the vikings the offensive line that defense to get people used to the playoff atmosphere and intensity that never goes wasted whether you win or lose let me ask you one more thing this just hit me so you do some notre dame broadcasting quinn carroll of edina now he tore his acl was it early in training camp but like have you gotten to know much about carroll have you heard some good things there in south bend about quinn's future yeah, you know, I, I'm, uh, I've talked to Quinn multiple times, and, you know, I've invited him out. Hopefully we're going to do some work here in Denver after the season um, because, hey, man, any Minnesotan tackle at Notre Dame, uh, it's, it's my duty to, to bring as many resources as I can. And, and also talk to him. I just talked to him. I said, hey, man, you're injured now, uh, but you're not going to be injured later. I had, back, I had three back surgeries, and I still won a, a, a Super Bowl championship. Right now, you don't feel yourself. Right now, you feel like yourself. You may not feel like a part of the team, but I'm here to tell you you are. You're going to have a great career. And, and those are powerful things to know and to be told when you're a young player. I mean, you don't know what you're to expect your first year at college. Nobody does, let alone a football player at the highest level uh, for Notre Dame. So it was, it, it was fun. It's been fun to meet Quinn Carroll, talk to him before he committed to Notre Dame, uh, met his family. And it's also been fun to kind of show them the big picture of, hey, injuries suck. I've been there, and that's, this is not the end of your career. Ryan, always love picking your brain. Ryan Harris, St. Paul native, Super Bowl 50 winner, now doing great media work in the Denver market. Ryan, great catching up. Thank you. Skull Vice. That is Roquan Smith from the Bears, the Bears linebacker. My audio hiccuped there during the conversation with Ryan Harris. So the Packers catch an enormous break on Sunday, hosting the Bears, not having to deal with that stud defender Roquan Smith. But the Vikings also catch a break when the Bears come to U.S. Bank Stadium Week 17. But I'm telling you, it sets up nicely for the Packers to win the NFC North as long as they beat the Bears on Sunday. So if you're a Vikings fan listening to this, I think you should root hard for the Bears on Sunday at Lambeau Field. Because if the Packers beat the Bears, they then can come here on Monday Night Football Week 16, December 23rd, lose to the Vikings, then all the Packers have to do is win Week 17 at David Blau 
And the Lions, Marvin Jones Jr. is out for the year. It's just hard for me to see the Lions, even in Detroit, it's hard for me to see the Lions beating the Packers Week 17 if all the Packers have to do is win that game to win the NFC North. The Packers would have the tiebreaker over the Vikings if they both finish 12 and 4. So, yeah, it's possible the Vikings finish 12 and 4, which is an incredible regular season, but have to be a 5 or a 6 seed. That would be an awfully daunting task if the Vikings have to win three playoff games just to win the NFC, just to get to the Super Bowl. You know from last week from listening to this podcast that Adam Thielen was expected back this weekend. It is still trending that way. This is a sneaky game on Sunday. I think the Vikings win, but the Chargers are plus when it comes to point differential. All of their losses are by one score. So yeah, they have eight losses, but all eight games were pretty competitive. Also, the Chargers have dealt with a number of injuries throughout the year, but right now the Chargers are pretty darn healthy, as healthy as they have been going back to training camp. One of the bigger agencies in the NFL has had talks with Carter Coughlin, Kamal Martin, and Antoine Winfield Jr. of the Gophers. It'll be curious if Antoine ends up signing with his dad's old agent or if he goes to a big agency. Either way, he's a darn near lock to go pro. Keep in mind, Winfield Jr., recruiting class of 2016, so he's been here for four years. He has suffered two devastating injuries, so he still has two years of eligibility remaining, but there is zero reason, zero incentive for Winfield to come back for a fifth year. He can go in the top 100 of the April draft, April into May. It's like that last weekend in April. I think it extends like late April into May, whenever it is. The 2020 NFL draft, Antoine Winfield Jr. can go top 100. Zero reason for him to come back for a fifth year with the Gophers. This weekend is a big recruiting weekend for the Gophers. Many of their commitments will be on campus. Signing day is next Wednesday. In fact, earlier today I was emailing with the Anoka Athletic Director, the Rosemount Athletic Director. You think about Cody Lindenberg, Jonathan Mann, two guys that will sign with the Gophers on Wednesday. We, we as in Channel 5, we're trying to hit some of these signing day ceremonies. So I had to reach out to all these schools to figure out when they are doing those ceremonies. Also, Buffalo High School with Aiden Bauman, Todd Bauman's son, the good quarterback. He'll sign with Iowa State. So, yeah, Wednesday. It's coming soon. It is fast approaching. Signing day for college football, the early signing day, Wednesday. And the Gophers will announce a pretty darn good recruiting class. I remember being at a charity event with somebody in the belly of the Gophers beast back in early July at Interlock in Edina. This individual just was raving to me about how good the 2020 recruiting class would be. So I know the Gophers are really, really excited. They always are, but I think more so this year than other recruiting class years. As for Caden Johnson, the state's top player in the recruiting class of 2020, he is a senior at Minnehaha Academy. Doesn't look good for the Gophers. It hasn't. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast, I think you've heard me say that the Gophers are a long shot to land Caden Johnson. I can tell you, though, I was actually over at Minnehaha Academy earlier this week for basketball practice. Ran into Caden. He had told me I was over there on, what day was that? Monday. He had told me that the Oregon State head coach was in on Monday, that Paul Christ of Wisconsin was due in on Tuesday. Then tomorrow, Scott Frost of, I was going to say Brad Frost, but no, Scott Frost of Nebraska is expected in. He remains a long shot, I'm telling you, to sign with the Gophers, even though the Gophers have maintained pretty regular contact with him. I think he's going to end up being a really good pass rusher. There was some talk of the Gophers maybe wanting him to play middle linebacker. He's a pass rusher. He should absolutely have his hand on the ground and do his best, or maybe he stands up. But either way, he should be getting to the quarterback. I would not play him at middle linebacker. There is a chance, though, for the Gophers to land Terry Lockett, Caden Johnson's good friend, Minnehaha Academy receiver. I think it's down to Michigan State and the Gophers. There is a little bit of family pull, though, for him to end up in the state of Michigan, but that will be interesting. My understanding is Lockett was expected to make up his mind by Monday that he's expected to sign with somebody on Wednesday. Will it be Michigan State or will it be the Gophers? I don't think it'll be Purdue or some of the other schools that have kicked the tires on him. I think it's either the Spartans or the Gophers. Let's transition now to the Wolves. 90% of the league is trade eligible as of Sunday. Jeff Teague, I mean, I've hinted to this to people on Twitter. Jeff Teague is very much available. If anybody wants Jeff Teague and his expiring contract, he's actually shown a pulse in different games the last month or so, but he is readily available. Trust me, the Wolves would happily trade 
Jeff Teague. The man that would execute a Jeff Teague trade is Gerson Rosas, the Wolves' president of operations. He recently visited Seattle. He went to a Washington Huskies practice sometime in the last handful of weeks. They have a couple lottery, well, I don't know about lottery, a couple first-round picks, potential lottery picks. So he likes to scout. He likes to be in the gym, watch these guys. So I know Rosas went to Seattle, went to a Washington Huskies practice to watch these guys. Then he also bonded with Pete Carroll of the Seahawks. One leader learning from another. Gershon Rosas spending time with Pete Carroll. Bobby Marks of ESPN, the former Nets assistant general manager, has a tremendous 45 pages long trade guide on ESPN Insider. It is definitely worth your time. A couple headlines. The Wolves can receive up to $2 million in a trade. Because of hard cap restrictions for the Golden State Warriors, the Wolves could only, in theory, send them, being the Warriors, up to $27.65 million in salary for the year. So that would essentially be Robert Covington plus Gorgie Jang, and the Wolves could throw in some draft picks. I mean, I guess the question is, is that enough? Robert Covington, Golden State would have to eat Gorgie Jang, but Covington would be an asset and a couple future first-round picks. If you're the Wolves, would you do that? Would you give up two future first-round picks plus Covington plus Gorgie Jang to acquire a former All-Star, presumably a guy that will be an All-Star Again, in D'Angelo Russell, I still, I've said this for a while, it's when, not if, the Warriors trade D'Angelo Russell. Who knows? Maybe it's a year from now, six months from now, 18 months from now, but I do think it's when, not if. I don't see him fulfilling the full years on his contract. Speaking of that, The Athletic has a lengthy story from this week on D'Angelo Russell. Within it, it says the Wolves offered Russell four years, $107 million dollars, in early July. But how? I've talked about this before, but it's a refresher because of this story in The Athletic. I'm a broken record. I get that. But not one person has told me how the Wolves were creating space. Keep in mind, the Wolves did not have cap space in July. So how were they offering D'Angelo Russell four years, $107 million? I mean, they couldn't. I don't understand it. They engaged the Mavericks. This I know. They talked to the Mavericks. They were trying to sell the Mavericks on taking back Covington, Teague, Gorgie. I mean, the Wolves are willing to peddle just about anyone outside of Carl Anthony Towns to clear cap space to sign Russell, but the Mavericks were not interested. The story also adds, by the way, that Russell committed to the Golden State Warriors before hopping on the helicopter to go to his recruiting pitch. From the Wolves. So he hops on the helicopter. The Wolves have a contingent in the helicopter. They then chopper across Los Angeles, go to this exotic location in Southern California for this recruiting pitch. But Russell, according to the story, had already committed to the Warriors. So you have to feel bad for the Wolves spending thousands upon thousands of dollars on their recruiting pitch to Russell on the helicopter ride, yet he had already committed to the Golden State Warriors before hopping into that helicopter to go to the Wolves recruiting pitch. Also a reminder, you might remember this from the summer, but I'll remind you now, the Wolves actually spent a bunch of money on a Ricky Rubio recruiting video, but that never got off the ground. Rubio was never coming back here. It looked for a while he might end up in Indiana. Then Phoenix swooped in. Malcolm Brogdon became an option for Indiana. So anyway, Rubio was never coming back to the Wolves over the summer. Here's some fallout from Friday, last Friday. The Wolves lost that game at Oklahoma City. I mean, seriously, I mean, speaking of, you know, grabbing defeat from the jaws of victory, I mean, I thought I was watching a Glenn Mason Gophers team for a second. I mean, that was just ridiculous. Anyway, let me read verbatim a text from somebody in the belly of the Oklahoma City beast. Here we go. A couple fun things for you from the Thunder. They said that Billy Donovan assumed that Ryan Saunders would tell Towns to miss the second free throw. Remember at the end of the game, you know, if Carl Anthony Towns makes both free throws or misses both, the Wolves likely win in regulation. But that Billy assumed that Ryan would tell Towns to miss the second free throw, which is accurate. I mean, I think Towns tried to miss the free throw, but he somehow made the free throw. So he still drew up the Steven Adams pass play, Adams to Dennis Schroeder. Schroeder at the buzzer over Teague, forces overtime. Then OKC plus 12. In OT, you really have to stink to get outscored by 12 points in overtime. So that was just, it was an epic fail by the Wolves last Friday. On the free throw line, this from, again, somebody within the belly of the Oklahoma City Thunder Beast, Chris Paul was betting Towns he would not make both free throws. 
Then after the game, Chris internally was telling all the guys that he knew Towns was so arrogant that he would try to make the second free throw if he felt challenged. So that's Paul, you know, the ultimate mind game player. He was playing mind games with Towns. Now, I still think Towns, really, I've gone back and watched it. I think Towns legitimately was trying to miss that free throw, and it just happened to go in. But it's like you had one job, just miss the free throw. You're at the free throw line so often. Like you have that skill, right, to hit the front rim. You got to hit rim or back rim, but like just don't make the free throw. And Towns made the free throw. Unbelievable. The Wolves were in Ames earlier this week to scout Tyrese Halliburton. He is a good point guard. Doesn't really shoot the ball that well, though. But I'm telling you, I'd love to see Halliburton and Towns in the pick and roll. Richard Patino is at Lindbergh Center on Saturday to watch Kerwin Walton of Hopkins. That's at Hopkins High School. Kerwin is the Gophers' number one recruiting target right now. Senior Kerwin Walton of Hopkins. Shaka Smart of Texas was in to see Walton earlier this week. Actually ran into Royce White, former NBA first-round pick, former Hopkins High School player. Was a gopher for a hot second, Iowa State Cyclone. I ran into Royce White while at Hopkins practice last week. And I ran into Ken Novak Sr. He told me... This is year number 72 around basketball. He's 91 years old. Year 72. That's Ken Novak Jr.'s dad. He is still omnipresent in the gym. What a legend. Congratulations to Ken Novak Sr. on his 72nd year around basketball. All right, when we come back, the latest on the Twins. Plus, I have conversations with a few of the guys I've mentioned in this first segment. We'll see what we have time to get to. Kerwin Walton, Jalen Suggs. I caught up with a bunch of guys over at Minnehaha Academy. But I think minimum I'll replay my conversation with Jalen Suggs as Decision Day nears January 4th. We'll hear about Jalen Suggs' future. And we may as well hear from Kerwin Walton, him talking about how hard Richard Patino is recruiting him. So stay with us. This is the Scoop Podcast. It's episode 271 right here on Score North on 1500. This is... It is second and final segment time here on the Scoop Podcast, episode 271 on this Friday night, right here on Score North on 1500, scorenorth.com. Hopefully you have the Score North app as well. One Gophers basketball item left over. I forgot to mention last segment, five teams, NBA teams, will scout the Gophers-Buckeyes game on Sunday. A case can be made that the best college basketball team in the country, Ohio State, We'll be at Williams Arena on Sunday at 5.30 tip-off. These five NBA teams will be there to scout a number of Buckeyes, plus Daniel Oturu of the Gophers. Toronto Raptors, LA Clippers, Atlanta Hawks, Miami Heat, and Denver Nuggets. All right, let me transition to some Twins notes before we get to Jalen Suggs and Kerwin Walton. The Twins know that they'd have to go, and this is in no particular order, they know that they'd have to go over $100 million on a five-year offer to have any chance to get Madison Bumgarner, who prefers to stay in the National League. The word is he prefers to keep his spring training location in Arizona. He's not going to get everything he wants, but there's not a lot that appeals to him is the buzz when it comes to Minnesota. So, hey, money talks loudest, right? We know that. In 99% of these cases, money talks loudest. Even in Zach Wheeler's case, yeah, he turned down a little bit more from the White Sox, but he still took a really big offer, a bigger offer than the Twins offered. I'm just saying, for the Twins to have any prayer to get Bumgarner, they would have to overpay him because I do think, in the end, at his age, his, you know, you look at his track record, all the innings and pitches he's thrown, this is his last big payday. So I do think, in the end, money slash term will matter the most. So for the Twins to have any chance at Bumgarner, they would have to go high term, high money. They did meet with Josh Donaldson's agent in San Diego. I don't know at this moment if they are willing to offer him four years. On the surface, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about Royce Lewis, others in the farm system that are on the cusp. Now, Donaldson could transition to designated hitter in a year. Is Nelson Cruz here in 2021? Unlikely. He's not signed for 2021. So Donaldson... Could always shift. Is Miguel Sano even here long term? He could always shift potentially to first base. So maybe, maybe the Twins are willing to go to four years knowing that toward the end, Donaldson would be a DH or first baseman, that they may need to have third base open 
for Royce Lewis, depending on certain circumstances. But I don't have a sense yet. I apologize. I should have this answer. But I don't have a sense yet if the Twins are willing to offer Josh Donaldson four years. I do know that Ken Rosenthal, who is plugged in, I know he has a good relationship with the Donaldson camp, he said on MLB Network this morning that he thinks it'll be either the Nationals or the Braves, that Donaldson ends up in one of those locations. I can tell you it does sound like that Donaldson's clear preference is to return to Atlanta. But again, much like with Bumgarner, I think money slash term will ultimately talk loudest. The Twins were engaged on all these free agents before they landed elsewhere. Hamels, Porcello, Rourke, Lyles, Trinan, Satsugo. He's the overseas guy that just agreed to terms earlier today with the Tampa Bay Rays. The Twins were kicking the tires on him potentially to play first base maybe slot in somewhere else. He's not considered a real good defender, but he's one of the better bats in Japan. But yeah, he is now a Tampa Bay Ray. No on Michael Waka. I'm actually surprised how often I was asked about Waka on Twitter. The Twins were not engaged on Waka. They're not engaged on Moore, Straley, because I've gotten a lot of tweets, hey, the Twins have planted seeds on every free agent. No, they've planted seeds on many free agents, but not every single free agent. There are some of the names that there is a no on. Also on Martin Perez, who's off to the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, the Twins had a little back and forth with his camp, but I can just tell you the Twins did not make him any sort of priority. Once they allowed him to hit free agency, they didn't pick up that option for 2020. The Twins were not bringing back Martin Perez. The Twins have inquired on all these available free agents. Romo, Harris, Ciszek, Hudson, Patances, those are all relievers. Ryu, Wood, Keuchel, those are some starters. Todd Frazier, I've been asked about Todd. Yeah, the Twins did inquire. That was one of those examples of them planting a seed early in free agency. But over the last couple weeks, there is zero momentum on the Twins and Todd Frazier. The Twins have not, and at this point they have Alex Avila, so there is not interest in bringing back Jason Castro. But the Angels, Astros, and Rangers all have interest in Castro. I'll add this on the Twins. Let's give them some time. I think this front office has built up enough equity. I think they've made enough good moves. Hey, they've missed on moves. Nick Anderson was on this podcast last week. They swung and missed on that. I mean, I don't know of a front office that bats 1,000. So the Twins have made mistakes. But I think they have enough leash, enough leeway where they deserve some time. I don't think they deserve all the criticism they've received to date. Let's see what they do over the next couple months. Opening day isn't tomorrow. If the Twins don't acquire another good starter, don't sleep on the trade route. If they don't acquire another good starter between now and, let's say, March 13th, it's December 13th. Let's give them until March 13th. But if they don't by March 13th, a lot of us, me included, will criticize them. But I have a feeling one way or another over the next couple months, they are going to acquire a pretty good starter. Now, will that starter be better than Jose Barrios? A starter we look at and say, okay, you have your game one starter, American League Divisional Series? That remains to be seen, but I do think a good arm is still coming. Just give it a little bit of time. One other Twins note, Justin Morneau is on the Twins Hall of Fame ballot for the first time. The ballot is due January 10th. He certainly has my vote. Personally, I sure hope Mudcat Grant makes it. It's been far too long. Mudcat, you have my support. Cesar Tovar, you have my support. Corey Kosky, you have my support. Jacques Jones, Roy Smalley, Dan Gladden. I mean, there's some interesting debates. A lot of names. Tom Brunanski on the ballot. For me, I'd vote for four guys. I just laid out the four I would vote for. But you can sell me. I mean, you could even sell me on Jeff Reardon. I mean, heck, do the Twins win the 1987 World Series without Reardon? And then he was an all-star the next year. So you can make a case Jeff Reardon belongs in the Twins Hall of Fame. So you can sell me. It's not like I'm steadfast and I'm saying, no, you can't sell me. But for now, Tovar, Koski, Mudcat Grant, and Morneau, you have my votes. All right, let's now get to Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs, one of the best athletes this state has ever produced. You think about Joe Maurer, you think about Dave Winfield. What about Jalen Suggs? Excels on the football field. And on the basketball court, I caught up with the Mini Haha Academy senior earlier this week. Jalen, let's start with Sunday, Mr. Football. I mean, think about all the great nominees there were, yet you were chosen as the winner. When I say Jalen Suggs, 2019 Mr. Football, what does that mean to you? 
Uh, it means the world um, because obviously, you know, there's a lot of great talent in that room with me uh, who's just as capable of winning it. Um, so again, I'm just very thankful for that opportunity. And then just to be just to be listed among that list of names, um, a bunch of great players, J.D. Spillman, uh, Michael Floyd, among others, uh, who have won that award. Uh, and to say I'm the best, you know, football player uh, in Minnesota this year, uh, it's a huge, it's a huge award. I mean, just validate your decision. Not that there was much waffling, but. I mean, we know that you could have said, okay, I've got this bright basketball future. I'm not going to play my senior year of football. But winning Mr. Football, just validate your decision to play your senior year? Of course. And, I mean, we came up short of the ultimate uh, ultimate goal, you know, which was to win the state championship. Um, but, I mean, to have that award and Gatorade uh, Player of the Year also, uh, I mean, you can't really be too mad at that. I mean, you fall short of your goal, but think about it. Like, years from now, people are going to be talking about that game, that finish, that has to mean something, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's good that it's talked about. Um, but, I mean, again, not the way we wanted it to end. All credit goes to record. They played a great game. Um, like I said, they're a great team. Um, and we just didn't come out ready to play. Uh, but, yeah, again, tired. On the two-point conversion, like, if your finger was like another half inch, do you get your finger on that ball? I felt the wind of the ball, you know, move my finger back a little bit. Um, I swear, uh, if they would have turned the AC down a little bit, you know, I might have had it. Uh, but I mean, it's the way football goes sometimes. It's a game of inches. Everybody knows that. And, uh, you know, just on that day, uh, it went their way. So, I mean, there are things that we could have done better throughout the game to not be in that situation. Um, but, again, all the credit goes to Recorey. Suppose you're used to this quick transition. Football, boom, all of a sudden, basketball season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's nothing new. I've been doing this since I've been, you know, four or five years old. Um, this year's a little tougher because, one, uh, football season was a bit more of a grind. Um, it was a bit harder on my body than I thought it was, and then it wasn't past years. Um, and then football, basketball coming up so quick, and with the big games coming up so quick, uh, that definitely didn't help. And then add on the knee injury. Uh, that I had in championship game, uh, you know, it just puts a couple setbacks. So uh, it's been a week of adversity uh, since that championship game, and I've just been doing my best to handle that. Yeah, I mean, part of that adversity was was the loss to Creighton on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, again, once again, all credit goes out to Creighton. They came out ready to play. Um, that's a team who has been playing together now for about a month and a half, two months. You know, while we've all been in football, and it showed. Uh, you know, they're moving the ball real well on offense. They're playing sound. They're in good shape uh, they're being well coached uh, you know coach Klein did a great job and uh, I think you know again not, a, not to make excuses but I think that was one of the biggest factors that played into it so but again all the credit goes out to them one great guard on another I mean do you look at Trey Holloman and say holy cow I mean in a couple of years he's just gonna be off the charts oh yeah that's my that's my young bug man uh, that's my little bro I got so much respect for him you know he's gonna be great uh, I can't wait to see him continue to grow and get better and be one of the most dominant forces uh, in the state. Is it cool to kind of be the big brother now? I mean, we think about a few years ago, maybe you had some big brothers in your life, but now you're that big brother? Yeah, of course. I mean, looking back on it, you know, Gary, Trey, Tyus, uh, Rashad, uh, you know, the list goes on and on of the guys who, you know, mentored me and got me to the place I am now. And, you know, to see now all my young guys, you know, coming up, Chad Donovan, uh, Trey, Prince, uh, and just so many more that I can name. Uh, it's really good to see, you know, I'm just soaking it all in, you know, trying to give out as much advice as I can to these guys because uh, they all have uh, the ability to be great. It's January 4th. I mean, we're not talking that far from now. I mean, think about how long the recruiting process has gone on for you. What is going to be next? I mean, do you know right now, like, what you're going to announce on January 4th? Uh, as of right now, I do not, honestly. Um, but it's coming up really fast, you know, this first semester of school. Um, and then up to Christmas is going by really fast. So, I mean, that's going to come by, you know, in a snap of a finger. And uh, so, like I said, I got some decision-making to do. I'll sit down, talk with my parents, um, and put it with God's hands. And I know by January 4th, uh, he'll be with me that night, and I'll make the right decision for my future. I mean, just ready for the process to be over, that it's been so many years. I mean, are you just ready to let out that big sigh of relief? No, nah, it's definitely been a grind, you know, ever since seventh grade, um, you know, I've had, you know, phone calls to my dad coming in and, 
you know, big events with coaches and, you know, stuff like that, uh, receiving phone calls and things of such sorts. And to see that it's finally coming to an end is, again, a bit bittersweet, um, you know, because it's, uh, it's the end of a chapter in my life. Uh, but I'm excited for it and what the future holds. On that January 4th date, I mean, we know that, you know, like LeBron's son's going to be here and Dwayne Wade's son's going to be here. I mean, just how cool is that day going to be overall? Oh, it's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be great for the state of Minnesota, uh, not only for the basketball, but just for Minnesota in general. Uh, there's going to be a lot of big people, big names who are here for that game. And uh, the atmosphere is just going to be second to none. Uh, I can't wait for it, and it's going to be a fun night. Are you going to take any more visits, or are the visits done, and you have all the information you need to make your decision? Um, I mean, I might, I might make one, uh, two max, uh, but for the most part, you know, I'm pretty solidified. One or two, I mean, would that be Florida and or Florida State? Uh, I know Florida State would definitely be in the mix in there. Um, you know, Georgia quite possibly, uh, and then Iowa State. Um, and then, you know, obviously on the weekend, uh, if I were free, and we could work out with Minnesota, I think that would be a new one. But other than that, I think it would be it. And you have the book on Gonzaga, right, with multiple trips out to Spokane? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much got it down packed. Uh, it was nothing short of amazing uh, both times that I went down there. Uh, again, came back with nothing negative to say about, you know, the, my visit. So uh, I have a great connection with the coaching staff, with the players there already, and their incoming recruiting class. So uh, I like it a lot over there. Are you also still paying attention to R.J. Hampton and LaMelo Ball and what they're doing in Australia from a professional standpoint? Of course, of course. And I've been in contact with R.J. You know, a couple of times, nothing too in-depth, uh, but just, you know, asking how it's going and, you know, you know how he's doing. I've been keeping tabs on, you know, the games and things. Um, and that's definitely a route that, you know, is, is still open uh, for me and my family. So, again, that's something that we're going to have to evaluate and uh, see where we go from there. Is football still an option, too, at the next level? Um, you know, the door, I wouldn't say the door is 100% closed, but I mean, well, at this point, you know, it's kind of looking like hoops, uh, you know, in college if I did end up going. And, you know, I was able to play football, um, you know, and it worked out great. Um, but, you know, as of right now, you know, it's kind of looking like hoops is taking that stride ahead. Which makes sense to all of us. But, like, when you think about then every football game you've played, it's so weird to think that there's a decent chance that you'll never play a football game again. Yeah, and that's why, and that's why the loss, you know, against Ricora was just so heartbreaking. Cause you know I realized that could quite possibly be my last time, you know, coming out and putting on pads and you know going out with my brothers and playing football. So, but you know, looking back on it, I had a great career. You know, I did a lot of things. Uh, you know, I love football. I love be around. Um, you know, I, I have built a lot of connections to where, you know, I can still go to a lot of football games and, you know, be around a game that I love. So, not bad. There is a chance that Jalen, based on scheduling, when he has basketball, that he could play in one of these postseason high school all-star football games. So, it's possible he plays in one more football game at all signs, as they have been for a long, long time, pointing toward Jalen playing basketball for many, many more years. And he is plenty good enough to one day play in the NBA, be a high NBA draft pick. All right, let's now get to Kerwin Walton. I'm making my rounds, trying to get to as many high school basketball practices as I can. I was over at Hopkins recently. I caught up with the Gophers' number one recruiting target, senior Kerwin Walton. Just first off, we shot some of your game against Armstrong, but you didn't play on Tuesday. Just where are things at health-wise? Um, it's coming along nicely. I just uh, messed up my ankle in a Park Center game. So, you know, I managed to play off of it. And, you know, right now it's feeling a lot better. Um, it's getting better every day. So that's, uh, that's the most important thing for me, at least. Is that part of just your own growth, just learning how to play through some pain and, and some injuries? Uh, yeah, because, you know, uh, it kind of reflects on my mental uh, strength, you know. Just being able to play hurt and not be too concerned with it. And, you know, I didn't think, like, whenever I got the ball, I didn't feel, I didn't really think too much about it. So it really, I think it really um, just shows just I'm mentally I was able to prepare for it. How have you grown as a leader? I mean, this is now your team last year. In many ways, it was it was Zeke's team. This is now your team. How have you grown as a leader? Um, I think I've grown a lot, and I think I'll continue to grow. You know, it's going to be it's a new challenge for me. I've never been in this type of uh, predicament before. But... Is, I think it's going to be really interesting and really great for me, you know, especially going to the next level. I think it will be leadership skills will definitely develop this year. And I think it will be really great for me. You like your guys' chances? I mean, you had the game against Park Center and you guys lost, but a lot can change. I mean, you know what sort of talent you guys have here. Do you feel like come March you guys will be right in the thick of things? I think so because, you know, as long as I've been here, every, you know, we lost every first game. 
And, you know, we were a lot shaky in the beginning of the season. But as we went out, as the season went on, like, we got better. So, you know, we got we bought into the system and learned how to play, like just play the game. And we, I think we got, always got a lot of better as the season went on. So I think it will be the same thing. How has your game developed, I mean, through the summer, here into the fall? You know, I mean, offer-wise, you know, the offers kept coming in. You've taken a lot of your visits. But just in terms of your own personal game, like, put it this way, how much better of a player are you today compared to one year ago? Um, I think I'm much better. But, you know, just because of all the hard work I put in, you know, all the – learning I had to do you know it was really tough but I put a lot of hours into what I do and I'm hoping to do I'm still doing the same thing and I'm really trying to get better because I don't think I've reached my ceiling just yet you know I'm just just trying to get better every day where do you need to get better I mean are we talking ball handling defense passing I mean the shooting I don't think needs to get any better but where do you need to get better um well I just want to work on my communication skills on and off the ball like on defense and uh you know, just being able to, you know, talk to my teammates. And, you know, I want to get better at defense. You know, that's one of the big things, uh, probably one of my biggest focuses right now, just because, you know, I don't know how great a defender people think I am or anything like that. But I know in a, once you get to the next level, that's probably the biggest adjustment for most freshmen. So that's something I'm really concerned with. Speaking of the next level, where are things at on the recruiting front? Um, starting to narrow it down a bit, you know, um, just doing a lot of evaluation, seeing how teams are doing right now in the regular season and seeing how they're playing and just talking to coaches and other, you know, my family about uh, what I think would be the right fit. I mean, is the idea to sign in the spring? Yeah, uh, I decided to not sign early and decided to sign late. I just thought it would be better for me. But I mean, all the schools that are in your mix, I mean, that's not really changing. I mean, you've taken all your visits and everything. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I took all my visits, you know, I took all five of the official visits. I took a couple unofficial and, you know, I've still been talking to, to a lot of the schools um, that I've been, that's been recruiting me. So I'm just going to see how it goes from here. I mean, who are those schools? I mean, North Carolina, Kansas, Arizona, Minnesota, who am I leaving out? Um, well, I'm talking to UNC, Minnesota, Arizona, Texas, and Creighton. And like, I talked to those guys probably the most and I probably left out somebody. I just can't put my, put my hand finger on who, but... Yeah, I've been talking to those guys a lot. You took a visit to Cal. I mean, is Cal Berkeley in the mix, too? I'd say yes. You know, I've, I have a great relationship with those coaches. You know, I really like the coaching staff, and it's definitely going to be an interesting spot for me. You know, I think that would be a spot that I can possibly fit in. You were spotted at the barn the other day. I mean, are you paying close attention to the Gophers? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I'm just looking at how they're playing, you know, especially all the sophomores like Gabe and Daniel and all those other guys. Probably watching Gabe more closely because, you know, we got the similar position. And seeing him have success, you know, it's really intriguing for me. And I'm just watching, you know, how the, the coaching style, the culture, and, you know, how they play. I mean, do you get the sense that you're their number one target right now? I mean, after Dawson committed to Marquette? Um, I get the feeling, yes, because, you know, the coaches told me many times that, you know, I, I was a big priority for them. And we talked a lot about how I can develop in the future, you know, the possibilities of staying home. So, yeah, I'd say that's definitely a priority. And Jamal Mashburn Jr. committing. I mean, he's a few inches shorter than you, but I mean, that doesn't impact anything. Nope, not from what I'm when I was told. Uh, you know, Capitino already cleared it up for me and saying that you know he think we'd be great together. So uh, it's not really that big of a deal. And I'll just hit you with Arizona. I mean, are you paying attention to Zeke's success in Tucson and how you might fit in down there? Yeah, definitely. Real. I mean, I've been I've been talking to him a little bit. So I mean, yes, yeah, seeing him have a lot of successes just makes me really happy. You know, just seeing him. Just grow into the player that I've seen him grow into. I knew he was going to be a lottery pick. In my opinion, he is a lottery pick. But, you know, seeing him have success just makes me a lot, just very happy in general. Zeke Naji, Hopkins High School last year, Arizona freshman this year. Yeah, he has a chance to be a one-and-done first-round pick. I know the Pelicans and the Thunder and the Celtics and the Cavs, those are four teams in particular that have done a ton of homework on him, will continue to do a ton of homework on him, but others will as well. Yeah, I think he has a chance to go top 25. I don't even think he needs to wait until pick 28 or pick 29. I just think Zeke Naji and hey, he needs to get better defensively. There's some flaws, but I'm not quite sure this is a great draft. I don't think it'll be as good as the 2019 draft, for example. So I do think he has a legit chance to go in the first round. Thank you to Kerwin Walton for hopping on the podcast. Kerwin Walton of Hopkins, the Gophers, Richard Petino and the Gophers, Number one recruiting target right now. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode 271. We are done. Happy holidays, everyone. Have a wonderful weekend.